You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning, Monday Chapel people. It's great to see your faces. And y'all, are you as glad as I am that like fall has sprung? Or I guess that's spring. Fall is uh, falls upon us. Isn't that feel great this weekend? Oh, there's just something about that the transition and the smell of air, the smell of the air changes. Any of you all fall is your favorite season? Anyone? Anyone? Oh come on, a few. Okay. Wait, what's your favorite season if it's not fall? Who's summer? No winter. A few spring. All right. Okay. All right. Well, <clears throat> fall it is. So I haven't had my first pumpkin spice latte. It's coming, people. It's coming. Well, uh, as uh, Reverend Hasselhoff mentioned, I'm Sarah Baldwin. I get to serve Asbury University as the Vice President of Student Development and Dean of Students. And I really love this work. I love this work because I get to be part of creating this community that seeks to honor God, honor each other, that strives to be holy, that is about honoring each other. And we get to serve as a witness to the world. Have you ever thought about that? That the Asbury community is a witness to the world of a different way to live, of a different pattern and rhythm of life, of a different center that defines us. So it's really a delight to get to be here. And I'm also, my husband Clint and I are also newly the advisors of the Surrender class. Yay, Surrenders. We're excited to get to know you all. And, uh, sir, and I continue to get to um, be delighted to get to serve Jesus here with you. So as Greg mentioned, we are doing a teaching series. Let me see if I can fix that. Okay. We're doing a teaching series through the book of Ephesians. And uh, on Friday, Jeannie Banter did one about bringing down the wall so you can see the walls that divide us and how in the book of Ephesians it talks about the unity that we're called to in Christ. So the whole book of Ephesians, you can divide it up into two sections, and the first three chapters are all about discussing God's creation of a holy community, Jews and Gentiles together, brought together the work of Christ, of grace, as sons and daughters of God, that all Jews and Gentiles alike were dead in their transgressions and sin and have been made alive in Jesus and are called to be in this holy community together. And so a big part of the message of Ephesians is about unity in the body, which I think would preach today for sure. And then the second half of Ephesians is all about some practical theology. So the first half is not as like it's not practical, but it gives us some theology about what community, holy community, the doctrine of it, the theology, behind it. And then we have how it's worked out in the world. And then at the end of chapter three, we've got the little transition piece where Paul is kind of closing out some thoughts and he's, and he prays for the church. He prays for the Jews and the Greeks together. He prays for the saints of the church and he prays for us because it is a prayer. Pastor Paul is praying for the people of God. And I want to hone in 
on that prayer that Paul prays for us because I think it speaks to us deeply about who we are and what it means to have our identity in God. So I'm in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 14 and I'm going to read this passage to you. So listen and hear Pastor Paul's prayer for you and for me. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you be strengthened in your inner being with power through his Spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of God Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So Lord Jesus, we thank you for the way that Paul prayed for the church then and how this, he, uh, this, these, this passage prays for us now. We thank you that your Holy Spirit is praying for us even now that we would experience this kind of love that Paul prays over us way back then. We thank you for the living word. We thank you for the timeless truths of scripture. We thank you that you can use this word, that you inhabit it, and it speaks to us. So we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would open our eyes and open our ears, open our hearts to hear what you would have us hear today. So there's several things in this little passage that I want to unpack for you today and for me because like all good preaching, it really starts with the preacher. It starts with what the Holy Spirit is doing in my life. And I want to talk about our identity in God, our strength in our inner being, what it means to have the indwelling Christ, what it is to know the immeasurable love of God, and what it is to experience immersion in God. So if you are a note taker, we're talking about identity, inner being, indwelling, immeasurable love, and immersion. And I'll hit on all of those as we go. So the very first piece, the identity in God, Paul says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Paul is on his knees for this prayer, in this prayer, demonstrating with his body this matter of the heart. So why does he kneel? What does it mean to kneel these days? You know, what it means is that what we do with our bodies, we do in our soul. And what we do in our soul in order for it to be real, it comes out in practical application. This little idea of what you do with your body, you do with your soul, is transformative to your thinking. So I suggest you give this deep thought because it's one of those truths that has a way of setting the rudder of your life. Because when you start to believe that what you do with your body, you do with your soul, it's the beginnings of a holistic life in Christ. It's the beginnings of understanding how what you think and what you believe and what you do are all part of your spiritual formation. So Paul cares about this so much that he's on his knees demonstrating this matter in his heart. 
And he says, I bow on my, my knees before the Father from whom every family in earth and heaven takes its name. So a few years ago, about a little less than four years ago, to be really precise, I got a phone call that would change my life and my family's life. And I remember it very vividly because it was shocking. It was a shocking phone call. I was about 10 weeks pregnant with my little, littlest daughter, Emily, and I was actually boxing up a house we were selling. And I got a phone call from my midwife. And she said, Sarah, I've, I've got the results of the genetic work and the blood work that we did to make sure everything's okay with the baby. And I want to let you know that you're having a baby girl. This was not the shocking part. <laughs> I want you to know that you're having a baby girl. It's like, really? I have an older daughter and a middle son. And I was like, oh, a baby girl. And then she said, I have one other thing I want to tell you. She said, this test shows that there's a 97% chance that she has Down syndrome. And it was, it was shocking. I was totally, completely unprepared for those words that all of a sudden sent my whole life, my family's life on a different trajectory. A really beautiful trajectory I have come to learn, but a different one. She said, there's 97% chance. And certainly and indeed, my little daughter, who's almost four, does indeed have trisomy 21 or Down syndrome. Now trisomy 21 or Down syndrome is named from Dr. Robert Langdon Down. In 1866, he identified certain characteristics and called it Down syndrome. So just a little PSA, it's not Down syndrome because Dr. Down himself did not have the syndrome. It is a syndrome named after him because he was the one who established its characteristics. So Down syndrome. I quickly learned as part of this community of families of disabilities how important person-centered language is. I quickly learned this. I quickly learned that when you talk about people with disabilities or you talk about people in general, I'll say a little bit more about that in a moment, you start with the person. So I was educated that uh, you don't say there's a Down's kid or you don't say the Down syndrome girl, you say... Emily is a girl with Down syndrome because you want to put her identity as a human being first because like all of us, we are human, we are souls and beings before all the other characteristics that make up who we are. So I've learned about this. So instead of an autistic person, you say a person with autism. Instead of you saying the blind kid, you say, or the you say the person or the child that is blind. You can even work this out into how you talk about immigrants. Instead of saying the immigrants, you say the people who have immigrated. It changes our language because language matters, because it shapes our worlds and shapes how we think about identity. Most of us have probably grown up with some sort of descriptors, negative or positive, in our lives. And some of you have been the smart kid, the athletic one, the cute one. Maybe some of you have been the fat kid, the one who, the kid and the trouble kid. Um, all of us have a variety of different ways that people label us and identify us. And truly, that has shaped how we think about ourselves, no doubt. 
Also, we have more power than ever before to shape and brand our public identity, how we per are perceived in the world publicly. And a lot of us take a lot of time to create and craft and curate the perfect in our minds public identity or brand. We define ourselves by all kinds of things, our political identity, where we like to shop, our taste in music, our sexual orientation, you name it. It all becomes part of how we identify ourselves. You all come from different backgrounds. We're from different states or countries, different families, all of which shape your identity. Each of us in this room has a different shade of skin color, different hair colors. In Emily's body, in every cell in her body, in every strand of DNA, she has one extra chromosome, number 47. That defines many, many things about her. Each of you have DNA in your body, in every cell, that defines a lot about you. But here is the word that Paul is reminding us in identity that Paul is saying that our most essential identity, our deepest identity, our ancestral line identity belongs to God. That when God says, from, when Paul's talking about from whom every family, every ancestry line in heaven and earth takes its name, he's talking about essential core identity. And that identity that God has breathed into you, the image of God in you, is the paper, so to speak, is the cell that the molecular code of your DNA is written on. Your identity, your core identity, your deepest ultimate identity belongs to God. Paul reminds us that our identity, our core deepest identity, is in relationship with the cosmic God of the universe. And all the other things that make us us are within that context. All of our molecular code is held within the hands of God that identifies us as in relationship with God. It's more intrinsic to ourselves than our DNA. The prophet Isaiah says it like this. He says, this is God's message. God who made you in the first place, Asbury, the one who got you started, church, don't be afraid. I've redeemed you. I've called your name, your mind, your identity, regardless of anything else. Your deepest core identity belongs to God. So first, Paul is praying for us that we would know our identity in relationship with God. And secondly, Paul says, Paul prays that according to the riches of his glory, I pray that he may grant that you be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit. Now, we talk about this idea a lot at Asbury, this idea of being strengthened in your soul. And what we're talking about is what it means to be filled by the Holy Spirit. Sometimes I think around here, because of the way our community chooses to live, we have behavioral codes, we have standards, we have ways of doing things that we hope provides scaffolding for you to have the most holistic, honoring, and holy experience possible on the planet. That's why they're there. 
But sometimes I think that because we're living in this context that we get so hung up that it's all about behavior management when that could, couldn't be the furthest thing from the truth. Instead, it's about the Holy Spirit empowering your inner person, your soul. It's about the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in your life, empowering your soul to be who you're created to be in Christ. And that is the essence of what we're talking about at Asbury. When you walk with God, the more you know God and ask the Holy Spirit to fill you, the more you become soul strong. Now, some of you have been through a lot and your families have been through a lot of hard stuff. I've, I've had my sh fair share of hard stuff. And probably like you, like I read books or podcasts and we know all about setting our goals. We know all about being resilient. We know all about getting simplified in life, all these strategies we have to manage life. But when the Holy Spirit strengthens you in your inner person, in your soul. It's more mind clearing than any stuff that you can simplify. It's more helpful than any human resilience you can grow. It's more effective than achieving your goals. It's more wonderful even than falling in love with that perfect person, as great as that could be. <laughs> the indwelling Holy Spirit in your inner life is your superpower in Jesus. And just like you have to lift weights to grow muscle power, or just like you have to study the periodic table to understand chemistry, or just like you have to practice that piece on the piano to get it, or just like you have to practice that perfect kick to make the goal, all of these things, you also practice walking with the Holy Spirit, cultivating a relationship with the Holy Spirit over time that strengthens your inner person. So Paul's praying for our identity in Christ. He's praying that we would be strengthened in our inner person. And then Paul prays that Christ would be indwelling. And he says it like this, rooting us and grounding us in love. You know, I was thinking that um, I used to live in Oregon for about nine years. And so I've been following on social media and in the news the reality that Oregon has been on fire. I've been following that in the news and about 900,000, almost a million acres has been burned. And at least three cities, little towns actually, the town of Phoenix, Oregon, Talent, Oregon, and one other have been totally burned to the ground. That's about, if you put it together, it's about 11,000 people who live in those little towns. That's like two Wilmores <laughs> or a little bit more than two Wilmores. Can you imagine if a fire came in and it just eradicated this town, like burned it to the ground so that the pictures they're seeing by satellite and drone just show like it's just desecrated. There's just nothing there. So it, it Nearby that area, there's a cabin that my husband Clint and I went to several times in the woods. In fact, we took groups of students and did retreats in this cabin. It belonged to a faculty member friend. And I remember when they were building this cabin, 
And they said, hey, Sarah, would you bring some students over? Because we want to bless the foundation of this cabin. We want to bless it. And we want to take Sharpies on it and actually write verses and words of blessing all over the beams and structure of this cabin. So we did. So we came, we took Sharpies, we went all over. Lots of people were involved in this process, not just us. And we covered the beams with verses. We covered it with words of blessing. We covered it with prayers. We asked the Lord to take this cabin and make it a place where Christ would dwell, that people would go and they would experience really sweet fellowship. So you can imagine how sad I felt when I heard that that cabin too had been burned to the ground. And I thought about, you know, all we did to pray over the cabin and cover it with words of blessing and affirmation. And yet when the fires came, it wasn't enough (laughs) to save the cabin. But you know, it's different with your life. When it talks in this verse, when Paul prays for us, that Christ would indwell in us, that we may be rooted and grounded with love. It means that we live life on a foundation of love. Do you know that that's another life thing? Earlier I was saying that when you understand that what you do with your body, you do with your soul, keep that. Another thing is how does your life change when you operate from a foundation of love? Let me tell you a few ways it changes. It means instead of beams of bitterness, you have beams of love. It means instead of a floor built out of anger, you have a floor built out of love. Instead of walls of rage, you have walls of love. Instead of a cement slab of shame, you have a foundation of love. When love, when Christ indwells in you and love becomes the foundation of your life, it's an eternal way of being. The foundation that you lay in life, in love, is eternal in God. There is nothing, no fire, no tragedy, no trauma that can take away your foundation of love in Christ because it is eternal. It is on the other side of death. It carries us through this life into heaven with Jesus. And it changes everything about everything. When you take up residence in the heart of Christ and and Christ takes up residence in you, when God dwells in you, it turns the framework of your life into the power of love. Pastor Paul goes on and he prays for us that we would know the immeasurable love of Christ. He talks about it like this. I pray that you have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Paul's being a little funny here because we actually can't possibly know and comprehend the full breadth of depth and height and length of the love of God, right? But Paul is charging us to give our imaginations a more full sense of the great love of God for us. So I have a dear friend named um, Rusty. He's a pastor friend of mine. 
And Rusty tells this story that right after college, he was in a real place of like things were not making sense for him anymore. He grew up in a pastor's home, but for whatever reason, um, his life had kind of taken another turn. He felt disconnected from God. He felt disconnected from his system of beliefs. He wasn't living in this foundation of love we're talking about. His inner person was struggling. Although he wouldn't have put all those words on it back then. He happened, of course, these things kind of sometimes happen on like mission trips, don't they? (laughs) When you get outside your comfort zone and all of a sudden you're like, oh, what do I really believe? Or who am I really? Or what's going on? That's a wonderful reason to travel and go somewhere where you're outside of your comfort zone because it's there the Holy Spirit has a tendency to really get your attention. That's why mission trips are more for us and our journey in Jesus than they are for the people we're going to serve. That's part of it. But often it's really so that Jesus can get our attention. So they were on a mission trip to France of all places. And they actually had a day off and they had gone to the beach, a rocky beach. I'm sure it was really beautiful. And he was sitting by himself in France on the beach, on the rocks, kind of pondering these things, these like existential questions of who he is. And he prayed that prayer that I'm sure that most of us have prayed at one time that goes something like, God, if you're out there, wouldn't this be a great time for you to show up? God, if you're listening, give me a sign. God, one of those sorts of prayers or one of those prayers that kind of end with like, help, God, help all of us. I've prayed. It's, it's, a good, it's a good prayer to pray. It's not a bad prayer. When we recognize that uh, we've come to the end of ourselves and that we are in need of God, you know, that is a really sweet place when you come to the end of yourself and you've done all your coping and you've done all your things and you've done all your trying, you're achieving, and you just really come to the end of yourselves. That's a sweet place in the Holy Spirit. So here he is and he's watching the rocks. I'm sorry, he's watching the waves roll in and he's taking some rocks and he's throwing them into the ocean, and he prays one of those prayers. And he, look, he looks over to his side, and unbelievably to him, he picks up a rock, and the rock has a word on it. And the rock says, Rusty. <laughs> his name is Rusty. <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> now, we'd all like to have a story like that, right? We'd all like to have the story where we have this really sweet moment with the Holy Spirit. We're like, God, if you'll just show up. And then we reach over and there's a, na- a rock with a name on it. We'd all love that. Uh, but nevertheless, it is Rusty's story. And he looked down there shocked and dumbfounded and started to weep and weep. Because this divine intersection of life, that however that rock got to be there, <laughs> however that happened, that God used it to connect with this 20-something guy who was really in the place of not knowing the next step. And it became part of his spiritual story. It became part of his story that eventually led him into being a pastor, where God continued, not just the rock on the beach with his name on it, but rock after rock after rock in his life of showing up, the cosmic God intersecting with this young guy. Now, you may not get a rock with it, with your name on it, but it's this same cosmic God who holds all of the universe together, who breathes life into you and into me with a love that knows no bounds. 
Do you know that the love of God is the strongest force in the universe? There's one more word that Paul uses here when he talks about his, his last prayer for us, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. And bands, you all can come up. He talks about being immersed in the love of God, being filled up in the love of God. And that's actually what this whole passage is moving to, this idea of being filled up in God, full of God, holding the fullness of God. I like to think about it like this. Can you imagine your favorite meal? <laughs> Perhaps there was a personal chef who cooked a meal just for you. And they pulled out of their own personal garden the best organic food, the most complimentary spices, and they made the most amazing smorgasbord of food for you. And even better, perhaps you're eating this amazing meal and you're out on the beach, okay? You're out on the beach and you're watching the waves roll in and you're seeing the sun set and you're eating. The, I had a meal like this once in Thailand. I picked out my fish and they like seared the fish and they put like lemongrass in it and lime and coconut milk and you're eating it on the beach and you're with your best people, your favorite people in the whole world and they're eating it with you and you have this amazing meal and the sun is setting and the food is so delicious and you're so filled you can't take another bite. And you walk home and there's like, this, it's just balmy and beautiful. And then you pass McDonald's and someone comes out of McDonald's and they say, hey, I got a free Big Mac meal for you and a large fry. Are you going to choose the Big Mac meal when you're filled up with all the goodness? This is a really teeny, tiny little example of what it means to be filled up with God. It's no longer any kind of behavior management system. It is about the presence of the holy God, the God of the universe, indwelling in you, filling you up to capacity so that there's no way in the world that you would ever choose anything else. So that the things that maybe seemed interesting or satisfying to you before no longer are because you've been filled up with the holy God. You've been filled up with the immeasurable love of Christ. You've been filled up with strength in your inner person. You recognize your identity in Jesus as your ultimate identity. And it's this kind of life as you go through it that then the sin of the world the things that are second best to God, they are no longer attractive to you because you are filled with the Holy Spirit. This last verse that Paul gives us, now to him by the power at work within us who's able to accomplish abundantly more than we ever can ask or imagine, to him be the glory. Glory. 